0: Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen.
1: Hey, and uh, good morning to you all. It's August 7th, and I have, uh, I have to start uh, the program with a, an abject apology. I'm, I'm, I, I feel just mortified. Um, yesterday I did a rant. Ryan, come in, but give me a second, because I have have to do something that people in our profession have to do every once in a while. That's called a correction. (laughs) I'm just mortified. I mean, in my 40 years in broadcasting, believe me, I've said things that are incorrect before, but, geez, uh, I really mucked up yesterday. Um, uh, I accused, (laughs) oh, dear, I feel so awful about it, but let me just correct it. I I accused Toni Morrison of being a an anti, anti-semite. Um and I was so mixed up. I had mixed her up with Alice Walker. Who is an anti-semite? And when she dies I won't bother saying anything, okay? But boy do I owe Tony Morrison a uh an apology, I owe you all an apology for spreading um, that misinformation. And I thank two or three or four of you who got back to me and said, "Uh, Lynn, uh, you uh, think you're mixing up Toni Morrison and Alice Walker, which is what I do with bands. You know, I, I attribute songs to the wrong bands. I attribute books to the wrong authors. And somehow, in my dotage, um, I screwed this up. I'm embarrassed, really. So, because I was so sure and I was so vociferous. So, I'm sorry. I'm truly sorry. All right, Ryan, come on in here. Don't you have to on occasion? Uh,
0: yes. <laughs> yeah, but, I would try to
1: but you can do it in print it's yeah, easier yeah
0: yeah you don't have to face face people um oh. as much i try to do it on twitter when i also make mistakes um i think i think it's pretty um oh. i mean it happens it's one of those things and it's it i think really it's about the response right it's about like recognizing the mistake owning it um right but you know <laughs> calling it out you know um kind of saying those things and uh, yeah, I think that's the difference. Well, I mean, it's the
1: best you can do, yeah. but uh, often the people who hear the correction are not the people who heard the... Correct. And Yeah, it never so gets amplified to the same
0: level. No, so
1: you've, uh, you've done damage. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah and so I am so, so mortified. I think that's the right word. I just felt mortification when I realized it. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah.
1: Okay. So anyway... Ryan's here a little early on this uh, Wednesday because we've got another guest coming in in the second half hour. Double book today. Yeah, this is v- most unusual. Um, she She's going to be an interesting.
0: What is she talking about?
1: Well, she grew up in, I think, Tarentum. Is okay. that a possibility? Tarentum? Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah,
0: sure. Here? Like yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. Up in the yeah. Valley. Yeah.
1: She grew up in Tarentum queer and jewish uh, okay which would be a strange thing to sure, be in tarentum yeah. either or not yeah, to mention I would both, think so, right yeah and um she is now uh she's a, a choreographer a dancer she did two years as a stripper downtown uh, okay so she has this uh pretty um, interesting, interesting bio yeah. and she'll be uh performing at um uh, with off-the-wall productions in, in Carnegie. Oh, um,
0: very cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They always do such amazing stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So, Mariah Ella, what's the last name? Mason. will be coming. It's not cool. a Jewish name. Mariah is, I think. <laughs> Maybe it's a queer name. Yeah, I don't know. I, know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, you. I got a, we got a lot we want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, hit me. Um, this, Okay. The New York Times today, okay. really upset me. Did you know that the Democratic Socialists of America...
0: I know them, yes, I know I them. I know you do. Yes. I think he's a fellow traveler, actually, if you want to know the truth. i am not registered any political group, but Oh, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> the sympathizer.
1: <laughs> sure, that's fair. Which I am on occasion, too. <laughs> Democratic Socialists of America, um, and, you know, they've enjoyed some... Uh, some success uh especially in, in pittsburgh honestly Ooh. yeah yeah i mean a lot actually they endorsed uh ocs i mean A-C- aoc aoc i can't get it right you know <laughs> AOC what i'm saying. the most
0: high profile uh person to 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 have or er, like backing or yes. backing from the no Democratic you said Socialists.
1: ocs aoc aoc oh i thought you said ocs i don't think
0: so maybe i did <laughs> alexandria ocasio-cortez
1: and couldn't she just be named Sally Smith so I would be able to remember it?
0: Luckily, I'm from California, so I don't have any problem with the oh, uh, Hispanic man. names. Oh man!
1: You know, you know, I was getting on Trump and Biden the other day for getting the place names wrong of where the latest atrocities were, and I thought, you know, they might be too old. And then when I did the Alice Walker, uh, Toni Morrison thing, I thought, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Happens to the best of us. And now us. OCS, uh, SOC.
1: I get this wrong all the time. And we're... Trump, Biden, and I are all in
0: our 70s. Oh, there you go. Oh, wow. Three peas in a pod. Am I really uh, right? Well, speaking of somebody else in their 70s,
1: Trump... I mean, not Trump. Uh, uh, see? Sanders uh, 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 yeah. is the darling of...
0: The Democratic Socialists. Yeah, he kind of popularized the term Democratic right. Socialists. You could That's argue. right. In America, at least.
1: So they had their... Convention, I guess, in the, this week mm-hmm. in uh, Atlanta, I yeah. think. Yeah. And uh, shockingly, they endorsed...
0: Sanders? Yes. You oh, well. <laughs> said being, shockingly. I, thought I they was got things they're gonna throw they got I was being Yeah, okay.
1: They endorsed Sanders, but okay. here's the thing I want to...
0: Okay, go ahead. Do you know where this is going? No, I have no idea.
1: They then passed a resolution... Saying that they will not officially endorse anyone else, regardless of who the Democratic nominee mm. is. And here is, for DSA, it is Bernie or
0: Bust. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a lot of thoughts Jesus on this.
1: Jesus H! God! <laughs> They're, this is why I hate the left. I hate them. <laughs> Even though I'm a, you know, bedfellow on many. Ag- yes, I hate yeah, them. Yeah, you are. I though. hate their yeah. friggin' <laughs> factionalism.
0: <laughs> and well, their, let's talk about and, this. Uh, the, what yeah. is the most
1: important thing that we, Americans, have to do in the next, uh, well, in, in November of 2020? What is the most important thing? Well, for thing? the left,
0: it would be defeating Trump. Right.
1: Well, not them apparently. Yeah.
0: Well, okay. Well, let's talk about that. They're this,
1: saying right? they won't. Okay, yeah, it doesn't endorse, mean that know. It, I doesn't, a it doesn't mean that a yeah. member of the DSA can't. But they're telling this is what is on. Even Bernie Sanders said he'll work like hell.
0: Mm-hmm. Although I
1: doubt it to um,
0: hey, elect he, he held rallies for Hillary to be fair. I went to one here in Pittsburgh. <laughs> there were hundreds of people there. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think I think, you know, one, you know, they're a political group. They can do whatever they want. You know? Like that's like their prerogative to endorse or not endorse or pass resolutions or not pass resolutions. Um, but who, I think who there's brought a
1: diff- who brought us Trump?
0: That's a very complicated
1: Okay, question. it's a very co- but I can tell you. If you took all the people who voted, who couldn't vote because they hated Hillary and didn't go to the polls when they would normally vote for a Democrat, you add to them the fools who voted for Jill Stein and uh, the people who... I even met one who were Bernie people who voted for Trump in protest. Um, If you look at... Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania—that Pennsylvania, yeah, does votes. it. So it's people. Yeah. They gave Trump the White House, just yeah, like yeah, but who are those just people? Just like though? We Nader could, voters yeah, in Florida gave it to Bush.
0: Sure, but I mean, we could we could analyze who those voters are, and like you could say that getting a DSA vote for like having the DSA endorse Hillary would would that have helped? Those people on the fence that were like, oh, I don't know if I like Hillary. I don't know if I like Trump. Would that have helped or hurt? Like, I don't know. Like, that's like a that's an important question to ask, because really, I think the margins, at least in Pennsylvania, like the 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 people who help like that hold the key votes are, tech, you know, usually in the suburbs. Right. And, yeah, and, supposedly, but it's and so, not, you know, yeah.
1: it, when it's that close, it's people also sure. not
0: voting because they're sure. guys. Yeah. But, know. I mean, turnout was pretty high, actually, in the and the thing. And really what boosted Trump was his rule turnout. He he really crushed it in terms of getting rural people, non-voters, who don't vote, in the same way that Obama got non-voters who don't vote in urban areas to come out and vote. And so— Yes. It's complicated. I totally understand people, you know, get mad at the DSA, all this stuff. But I will say that, like, um, the DSA is very uh, is very um, strict with their endorsements. I think that's even the local chapter is pretty strict with their endorsements. But that doesn't mean that DSA members aren't going to go and help and campaign for Democratic candidates when the time comes. And I think they did that even uh, even in some of the local elections that happened here, whether or not they're helping out someone like um Betsy Monroe who lost her race in the suburbs of the state state rep um and like all those things so you know yes I understand the frustration over endorsements but i will say that like you know it's um
1: it's it's really I, I think not think the it's endorsements yeah. it's that they
0: Oh, it's the resolution to not endorse. It's
1: the re- resolution yeah. that is
0: sort of... Well, yeah, but think about it. That like, clearly tells the people mean, I think that only our guy,
1: and then yeah. we fold the tent.
0: But that's and, how the Green Party works, too, right? Well,
1: fuck the Green Party, too! <laughs> but
0: they, I think there's a lot of studies that show that like the Green Party people are just always going to be Green Party people. Like No matter what, they're just going to come out and vote... For their Green Party candidate. That's why they're in the party. Why else would they be in the party if okay, they didn't me, vote for let them? Okay, let me get...
1: I bet the Green Party sort of would like this uh, Inslee, the global warming uh-huh. uh, guy, it, Washington state governor, yeah, maybe, who's yeah. got... Yeah, right? I, I have no idea. I mean, he's as green as they sure. come. yeah. Okay? Here's what he said the other day. And I read this on the air yesterday because I really like what he said. Mm-hmm. He was asked... If with this fractious primary winnowing period we're in, that how much damage is it going to do? And is it going to prevent Democrats from coming together in the general election Mm -hmm. and work like hell to get Trump out? Here's what he said. We've got the most unifying gravitational force outside of a black hole. And that's a white nationalist in the White House. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I want all these green guys and DSA guys to take that to heart.
0: Yeah. But I think they will though. I think I don't I think they're gonna come out.
1: I've watched these purists have, yeah. mess yeah. mess up Democrats in national yeah. elections so many times yeah. that I don't have your you know sense of oh, well I'm just we really here.
0: confident Trump's going to lose so that's why cuz I just So you his, figure it's he's so awful that they can He's so unpopular sit it on, he's uh, so unpopular Well because
1: you live in a bubble <laughs> No
0: I don't because well, I but, I follow the polls he's so unpopular in our state it's re, it's remarkable like and then you and then you follow the uh the like 2018 election and what happened with milk toast candidates like Governor Wolf sorry Governor Wolf but you're a milk toast candidate and this is true. Yeah, uh, but, um, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about his him role as a governor. Just talking about just a political candidate. He, you know, he kind of skated. He crushed. It wasn't even close. We had a Trump acolyte running in the, in the form of Scott Wagner for governor, and That's he didn't true. even come close. So right. I think, like, in the way—I I talk about this a decent amount—but in the way that when Obama won in 2008, he won by 10 million votes, which is a lot. In 2012, he won by 5 million votes, right? So he lost 5 million votes. And then in, in, in key states, he won by like 2 million. And so basically he had like this 2 million vote cushion. Trump only has a 77,000 vote cushion. It's so small. It's remarkably small. And in, in the states that he needs to win, he's been underwater basically his whole term. So I I'm just confident that, that, um, you know, I think any Democrat was going to beat him, honestly. Uh, but, not, you know, not to say, to like, don't go vote, obviously, but I think enough people are going to, there's just going to be a, a, a natural pushback that is going to happen. In the same way there was a natural pushback against Obama, but he had such a bigger cushion that he, he still was able to win easily uh, or fairly easily. And mm-hmm. so um, I think a lot of this stuff is that, one, the primary is way too long. It's oh ridiculous. Oh my
1: God, but, it's but, unbelievable. But I mean,
0: it's causing us to get worried. It's causing Democrats and liberals on the left to basically like start fighting against each other because they're so worried about what's going to happen because it's not going perfectly them in every moment, you know? Do, do we remember the Republican primary, by the a, way?
1: Are you calling me a snowflake? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It does. It goes on to, this country is so f- uh, oh, yeah. wait, I,
0: but it's the media way. though. It's the media oh, though. Well, I mean, I mean, listen, I mean, I know. I'm a member the of the media. media. Is a contributing I, factor yeah. to
1: our fucked upness. Not you, of course, uh, and yeah, not Pittsburgh yeah, City yeah. Paper. But P- I.
0: People would argue that. I, yeah. True, right. But yeah. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah. So it's 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 really crazy. But yeah.
1: Okay, I sent myself something that's not showing up here. Okay. And it was something, some quote from. Republican senator from
0: Pennsylvania, mm. Toomey, Patrick Toomey,
1: Patrick Toomey, who is only in office because of the state Democratic Party's
0: stupidity. But <laughs> so let's he's, not he's, get he's into that. A, he's actually a decent campaigner, to be perfectly uh, fair. Screw yeah. <laughs> that weasel. I'm not. Do you a fan know of what it, I'm I talking
1: just. about? He actually. Oh, does the assault
0: a qu- the, the uh, on the assault weapons. I just I think we actually might have just published. something. Okay, about
1: get, find that quote. It, if this is not a profile in sheer self-centered yeah, cowardice. Okay.
0: Are we talking about uh, how he, that we can't ban assault weapons because they're too popular? Is that what we're talking That's about? That's
1: something, yeah, it was sort of the general. Yes, yeah. He, went he on said, Fox, I'm not going to, he literally said, I can't vote again." do you uh, see it? I got the quote here.
0: Um, so he says of assault weapons. He says they're extremely popular, and so to ban an extremely popular firearm, I'm not going to support that. They, sorry, that would infringe. Sorry, that would be an infringement on the rights of law-abiding citizens. So this is such, yeah, this is this is quite the, um, this is quite the profile and courage for, um, you know, Pat Toomey. Uh, but he's also wrong. I just want to say that in terms of the popularity of an assault weapon ban in his own state, Pennsylvania. Yeah, what uh, is that? The polls show. The polls show, show that it's em. actually popular to ban assault weapons. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, there was a. So again, Franklin no, American they poll. have these
1: talking points that yeah. are just friggin' lies.
0: Sixty-eight percent of registered voters <coughs> support banning assault weapons in Pennsylvania. So, so yes, but you know,
1: but y- you trafficking in facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah how retro of you.
0: Well, it's also interesting because Pat Toomey is uh has been what you would, I guess, if you took a step back and looked at it, one of the more sh- stringent oh. Republicans. I mean, not that Yeah, but he he <laughs> not was not that Republicans are stringent at all, but I mean like he's been calling for some gun sorry, some some gun reforms, uh basically background checks at guns at gun shows and for online purchases, which is kind of weak, but but I mean, like in terms of where the Republican Party is, he's basically you know the only Republican senator, maybe along with Susan Collins, who who you know even want to call for anything. But that's what makes this statement even more obtuse, in my opinion, because it's like oh, so you want to do this, but you you don't even want to discuss this other option. And, like, what does popularity mean? I know. What does popularity like, mean? Like, oh, popularity with people who buy guns because they like right. to shoot them? like But that's not all your constituents. And that's literally how Pat Toomey has always acted. Like, oh, well, the people who come out and support me, that's who I care about. But, like, he represents all of the state. Well, Toomey oh.
1: is basically, right, he's a Republican because yes. of – the money stuff. He's a Republican. Yeah, he used to run the cup- club for growth. Club for growth. I mean, he is uh,
0: just—he's a uh, trickle-down, trickle-down economic he's a Republican ca- capitalist. Yeah. Yes, you know, to the to the to the core. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's why he's there. But his party doesn't in any way echo—I mean, all of the principles of the Club for Growth in no, other ways. No, no, and actually, t- if fiscal conservatism yeah. and debt. Yeah. deficit and, and, debt he, and you know and all of this yeah. and he and still his, stays with them
0: but i mean in his fairness he does in terms of the fiscal stuff he does vote pretty pretty uh often to vote against like any kind of like raising of 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 the thing he does he has been very look i mean i believe i'm trying i I feel like i'm defending pat Toomey. you but, are but, <laughs> hey i just wrote a story about his embarrassing remarks um so but but i mean in terms of yeah he, he he's he been pretty critical of the you know tariffs and 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 those are the thing and I think there needs to be some credit where, where credit where credits due but at the same time he um he doesn't uh he doesn't um he doesn't really take a huge stand on these things he doesn't block legislation to get his priorities through he just kind of likes to it's a little bit of lip service of like yeah. oh well, I do this too but i mean his remark about the assault weapon bans is just like in 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 addition to being...
1: Well, it's an abdication of leadership. Yes. It is a total fold, and it's, it's, you would think he'd be embarrassed, whatever. What else were we going to talk about? Because the thing you sent me isn't here either. Oh, Nothing's uh, here.
0: Yeah. Uh, we could talk about, if we, if we want to talk about dumb Republican senators or former ones, Rick Santorum said some pretty stupid oh, stuff God. too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you know
1: he showed up in a dream of mine the other oh, night? Oh, and oh, oh, like a nightmare. it like was frightening. I know. It was just frightening. All of a sudden, there was Santorum.
0: And I, ah! <sighs> I just don't understand why CNN why do they, pays why him. Do, yeah, why do they, he doesn't say anything of value. Like, I don't understand. Oh, It makes me so frustrated that we have all these pundits that basically just share their opinions on politics when they are done. Like, Santorum doesn't have any influence over anything. Why does it matter what he says? You but, know what? I but, don't want to hear what he says. Yeah, it's fine. Go to, go to CityPaper.com uh, and... Uh, I really PJ don't. Sit, but, what? Um, we, uh, we could talk about the DA race, uh, Allegheny County DA race. Oh, that's talk right, about that. that's right.
1: So I'm a little... Um, okay, so the uh, district attorney here has been the district attorney here for... 20 plus years. 20 plus years. And um, he is being challenged now by an independent... Yes. Which of course, I'm sure is not causing him l- too much lack of sleep.
0: Yeah, I don't Okay. Yeah, yep.
1: Her name is Linda
0: Lisa Middleman. Lisa. <laughs>
1: if I get any name right
0: we're gonna go, yeah. no, really. <laughs> we're gonna see more. I think we're gonna see more and more of that. Um but yeah, go ahead. Middleman. Yes. Okay.
1: And I know that I was at this lefty kind of event the other day, and I signed.
0: Oh, you were there. I was there too. I covered that. I didn't see you. Oh, man. Should have, should have. I signed to, papers <laughs>
1: for her. Yeah. To, I guess was there something I was signing about her?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, as she, a voter. Yeah, she yeah. got she she she. <coughs> to she, get on the ballot. Yeah, she turned in ten thousand, eleven thousand petitions. She said she only needed four thousand. So okay, there's so, yeah, there's significant support. Okay. for Okay.
1: Well, I signed it because I always believe anybody should be able to be on the ballot. Yeah. I always sign those. Yeah,
0: things. unless you're a Nazi or something, but.
1: I, my next guest is here, so I'm just. Okay, know, yeah, that's fine. Not, yeah. Just <laughs> I don't care. But no, I mean, you've got, yeah, yeah, got, you've got, got like, five minutes. minutes or yeah.
0: So, so um,
1: but you dug up or came out with this.
0: Yeah, there was a story about um, Zapala. It, it's actually been a very spicy campaign, I think, for the first like uh, couple weeks. Uh, I I wrote about a um, uh, Stephen Zapala who doesn't like campaigning. Who has been on the record many times saying he doesn't like to campaign. He thinks it's like he 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 kind of thinks it's like beneath the position, I would say, and that it's more about like what his role is as the DA. But it is an elected office, so everyone has to campaign. It's not an appointed office and so he doesn't like campaigning but his first cam- campaign event i guess was with this um young republican group in Allegheny County and remember he's a democrat yes uh so he is on both ballots to say to be fair because he uh he got enough writing votes to be on the Republican and the Democratic ballot. But he's always been a Democrat. He's always run as a Democrat. He's always registered as a Democrat. Yeah, so
1: he meets with these young Republicans. So
0: he meets with these young Republicans. This young Republican group is controversial, to say the least. Uh, they uh, spread – they got in trouble a few months ago for spreading fake news about Dan Gilman uh, holding up a walk-away sign, which is hashtag walk-away, which is this really stupid far-right uh, movement that is like, oh, look at all these Democrats leaving the party. It's totally bullcrap. Uh and, um, but so this group. So he met with he met with this he met with this group at the same time. A couple days before that, he skipped out on a Democratic Party event where um, a bunch of a bunch of people in McCannless got to meet with a bunch of candidates. <laughs> either local candidates, Connor Lamb was there, um, State Senator Lindsey Williams was there, Rich Fitzgerald was there. Um, so what is
1: what do you make of this?
0: I make that I don't understand what his campaign is doing. I think it's really weird to have a Democratic DA, like, skip out on a Democratic event, but well, then meet figures. with a young Republican event, especially one so controversial. And I, I didn't put this in the story, but it's pretty common knowledge that this young Republican group is is run by uh, the girlfriend of his son, Steven Zappala. <laughs> Who who wait a minute who is running his campaign basically? Wait at this a minute, wait, wait, wait wait, yeah. wait, 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 yeah. wait, 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 wait,
1: Okay, yeah. my head just exploded. Yeah. You're saying Zapala's son
0: Stephen Zapala Junior. No, it's a Stephen with a V instead of a PH. Oh, yeah, for Christ. Weird.
1: Okay. Stephen <laughs> with a V, his son <laughs> yes. runs the Republic.:
0: No, his his son runs his campaign now. Now it and used to be run by Aaron McClellan, who is a Democratic candidate. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 but what, but what? she got kicked out, basically. Okay. And for some reason, I have no idea why. It's stupid. Um, but now Stephen or Stevie is is basically running his campaign. He is dating and has been for a while. Oh, he, he's the, dating the the the, 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 re- the head of this young Republican group. So it's like this weird thing where it, it's almost kind of like Steven's, I mean, right. sorry, the okay. I can't. Was, yeah, I, I, it's, I can't. So it's really it's really odd. But anyway, even just meeting with this group. Is I think it's controversial because this group is like pro-Trump, like um, like spreading false news about Mayor Peduto, mocking Mayor Peduto, like all these things. Like how how is that? I just think that's really interesting considering like there's way more Democrats in Allegheny County than there are Republicans, and this is a Democratic (laughs) this is a Democratic DA, so he's kind of spurning that. But
1: I don't understand anything
0: anymore. Um, but at the same time, too, Lisa Middleman got into some hot water, too, about some uh, past comments she had about uh, the. Um, about when she about was. About jury uh, selection. When she was def- a uh, public defender, like public back in the defender. 90s. Yeah, back in it's the 90s. It was a long time. It, it was almost it was, it was, uh, 30 years yeah, ago. Yes, it was like 30 years ago.
1: And so she would have been extremely young, just yeah. starting out. But yeah. she did say some. What today? See, this is what. Yeah. She was keeping uh, black. Jurors off the jury. She
0: was she was arguing to the judge that that black jurors would be um, that like shouldn't sit on the jury for this wouldn't case. be good
1: for her, this, this case, case for her client. Yes. but she said things like, "I don't want some fat
0: black, black woman. Yeah. woman yeah
1: who looks at who hates me yeah because I'm a blonde."
0: White, Good-looking white, babe skinny, or skinny, something. Skinny white. Woman, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And I
1: mean, it is the most repulsive thing yeah. to say. Yeah. I can't even. I read that and thought, well, fuck
0: you. <laughs> no. I, I will say that, like, um, it sound it sounded having 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 met Middleman too, yeah. like before. It sounded like her claims of like she was being satirical. I'm not. I'm not defending the comments because they suck. But like, um, but in terms of like her claims of being satirical, All she right, well, whatever. a satirical person. But, it doesn't, but doesn't read well. Yeah, well, I think it's funny too. The media, I will say too. I will say this because I am very critical of the media in our area. The middleman story about the comments, which again are 30 years old made every newspaper right where like, the where is my story about zapala only us didn't even though right. i will give credit to wesa because they linked and mentioned our okay. story in their story but wsa broke the story and then tv news only I know, picks I up I hate shit. when this do this because kdk is like kdk investigates or you know wta investigates. you didn't investigate this this was a wesa story stop it like, oh, I hate it. Like, you didn't do anything. Hey,
1: um, coming from television news myself, I must say that's how they operate.
0: They if steal we stories. Have, steal
1: stories, that's at the least only give us way. credit. No, that's I all know, I care I agree. about. I don't and care and about I've aggregating. Always, give us I credit. have always given credit, but yeah. you bet it's disgusting. Yeah. All right, buddy, your time all is right. up. Your time is up. You apologist for. <laughs> pat to (laughs) me
0: i i i feel like i apologize for the dsa you did you apologize for everybody jill stein i mean my
1: god get out get out and tell that lovely woman to come in okay thank you (laughs) hi this is our next guest oh my god god help you um Hi, nice to meet you. It's a little Hi. weird. Nice a little weird. weird not to have had a, had a chance to talk uh, before. But this is um, a choreographer. Now, let me get this. Mariah mm-hmm. Ella mm-hmm. Mason.
2: Perfect. I did. I got it. And I got
1: it. We, we've been talking about my inability to remember mm-hmm. names, to get them right, and all this kind of stuff. So, you've got a big opening tomorrow. I do. (laughs) Well, tell us about that first, and then I got to get into your story, which I find fascinating. But tell us about your...
2: Absolutely. Um, So my show is called Queer Jewish Dancing in Diaspora, and it's a collection of dances and storytelling that's exploring the intersections of queer identity and Jewish identity.
1: And you would know
2: and i would know um (laughs) or at least i would have one perspective as a queer jewish american woman and um everyone in the cast who's been part of the creative process with me is either queer or jewish or queer and jewish and we've been working with members of the community throughout the process
1: wow so how so this is all dance or no there is more than dance is there spoken word and tell us (laughs) So it's primarily
2: dance, but we do also have some text and storytelling. So when you come see the show, you'll hear um, an interview that I do with myself. Um, So you'll hear sort of an autobiographical um, version of me talking to myself about what these identities mean to me. Um, and you'll also hear some storytelling by Olivia Devora Tucker, who is our actor and dramaturg, and they've been doing a lot of really deep research into Jewish folklore and sacred text and ritual for us, and have been assisting the creative process in that way. So they'll be providing some context and stories and sharing some of, uh, some of the ideas behind the movement throughout the piece.
1: The movement, meaning the dance movement. Yes, I think. yes, meaning now the, there's dance a movement? Movement. Okay, um, the dance movement. Okay, the dance movement. So, if people, I mean, th- there is an audience for dance, mm-hmm. right? Um, and how do you how do you pull somebody in who's not used to necessarily going to a dance uh, performance that yeah. might be very much interested in this? intersection you're doing of uh, Jewishness and queerness in the diaspora, how do you get them to know that, no, really, (laughs) through movement, a lot can be said?
2: Yeah, so a lot definitely can be said through movement, and I think um, for folks who are interested in... queer identity and in Jewish identity, they're gonna see things from their experience within our movement. You're gonna see us um, building really beautiful dance out of gestures quoted from the way Jews tend to pray, bobbing, swaying, bowing. We really draw on that as a source of movement. You'll also see us getting down the way we would at a queer dance party, the way we would at Sappho. (laughs) So I think people will see movements that they identify with. And I think what is really brilliant about dance that I hope people can see and experience is its ability to capture what is a bit ephemeral and the types of um, emotions and insights that aren't able to be verbalized until you first really fully experience them in your body.
1: Wow. You just verbalized that very, very... (laughs) Very well.
2: I've been practicing.
1: <laughs> so, jeez. Um, so the juxtaposition of you know this, what Hasidic men. I'm thinking more of the, the sort of like this, kind of praying, that they do. I mean, I'm yeah. a Jew. I don't do this. <laughs> well, do yeah. You, I, I, and and then also mm-hmm. this sort of sexual stuff coming in. I would think that mm-hmm. those Orthodox men being. You know, being orthodox would be appalled.
2: Um, I mean, they might be. I think that there's a lot of tension within the Jewish community about the place of LGBTQ folks within our communities, and um, a lot of reform and conservative synagogues have been becoming more inclusive and open over the last 20 years, Um, and there is some traction and push for that inclusivity within some orthodox communities, but that's very new. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do like definitely you see, um, Hasidic men like praying in the way I described, but I grew up in a reform synagogue, my dad and I, I grew up bobbing and swaying all the time. So it's something that, as I've talked to a lot of other young Jews, um, who have grown up in a range of movements within the Jewish community that they do immediately identify with in some way. Um, so that. It's part of, like, it just comes out of my really personal experience of that.
1: You grew up in...
2: Tr- Trafford. Trafford. Mm-hmm. I don't
1: the rent them Trafford. I knew it was a T.
2: <laughs>
1: That's a small town.
2: It's a small town.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, my first reaction was, what, a Jew in Trafford? Yeah. And there was a synagogue? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, um, like,
2: yeah, no, um, I, as far as I know, in my experience, I was the only, we were the only Jewish family and I was the only Jewish kid in my town and school district growing up. Wow. Um, wow.
1: I thought I had us, you know, because I grew up in a small town mm-hmm. as well. And, um, but I had, a. there were about 10 other kids my age that were Jewish yeah. in this town. So, but still, that we made such a tiny little minority. But so there you are, a minority of one.
2: Yes, (laughs) Um, it was a really difficult experience.
1: In what in what way, though? Because were you was your family religious?
2: My family was religious. um, So we kept Shabbat. We went to shul every week in Monroeville, where there's a synagogues and a more substantial Jewish population. I went to Hebrew school, I was bat mitzvahed, all of that was really important to me. Um, But yeah, it was difficult in the town I grew up with because it's pretty conservative Christian Um, and so I just experienced a lot of anti-semitism when I was growing up, especially in middle school as so many of my peers were all becoming more devout Christians. And um, you In know, middle school, they became more... I thought in yeah. middle school,
1: you're supposed to go the other direction.
2: Um, at as least as not you, in she, my town. Uh, <laughs> and at least not wow. if you were like a nerdy honor student oh. <laughs> like I was. That was like most of the kids I was hanging out with. Um, yeah, people got really serious about youth group and a type of conservative Christianity that included a lot of anti-Semitism and homophobia. And so I kind of experienced the range from well-intentioned classmates who were just very concerned about my soul and that I was going to hell, to been others there. who were frustrated that I had killed Jesus. Um, people I who, have been
1: so accused as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then, you know, there were just like a few other, you know, young kids who were really experimenting with some neo-Nazi language and would offer death threats. And it was something I didn't take incredibly seriously at the time because it felt so ridiculous for another kid to be saying those things to me um feels a little different now
1: it does doesn't it yeah wow did you tell your parents about this
2: i don't think i did yeah yeah
1: you didn't want to worry them or it was just so you excuse the metaphor you bore this cross (laughs) quietly. I mean, and you held it. I mean...
2: I complained. For sure I complained. Um, Yeah, but I think that I just didn't... I didn't want to take it seriously, and I knew telling my parents would be taking it... would mean I was taking it more seriously, and it felt easier to just brush it off.
1: Okay, so you're growing up the only Jew in like a... God knows, the entire town, and subjected to this ignorance and hate, mm. and were you aware even as a child that you were also s- different in your sexuality?
2: Not at all. Well, well <laughs> um, was that
1: probably good or not?
2: I mean, I think that it was probably helped me get through that time in my life. Mm. I, um, As I was getting into high school, other students started to tease me about being a lesbian and I was like I'm not a lesbian I have no idea what you're talking about um and I think that it was just too difficult and scary to take on being too marginalized identities in that community yeah. um and so and also because I am bisexual I'm attracted to people of all different genders I was also very confused because um sure. growing up in like the section of, you know, small town Pennsylvania I was in, there was sort of a conception of being gay or lesbian, there was sort of, you know, a conception of straightness, and there wasn't a lot of talk about bisexuality. So um well welcome I, to
1: most of our our childhoods.
2: Yeah. No. I think it's different for a lot of kids growing up now, yeah. but at the time I just was very confused that I could have uh oh, crushes kid. on boys and girls. You poor
1: kid. But it didn't screw you up totally, huh? Did you go? I so hope not. the nerdy kid went off to college? Yeah, I
2: went off to college in New York. Uh, where went to Sarah, Sarah Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah. Oh, that's
1: a good choice, though.
2: Yeah, it was great. It was a great school for me. Yeah. And it was um, suddenly being in a very different context where it felt like everyone was Jewish, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, it was just like. I think really showed me how um, the experience of being Jewish can be really different in America depending on what context you're in. Exactly.
1: I always tell the Jews who grew up here in the city in Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh, you don't have a clue about what it is to be a Jew because you have this big community around you and that is not the reality of a Jew (laughs) in the world. I mean, I think what i would push back on that about is i think that there's just no
2: one reality of being a jew in the world and i think where we have formed really vibrant communities where people don't feel isolated is a meaningful and important part of being jewish and also being sometimes the lone jew in a different place gives you another perspective that's also valuable um and while it's been very formative in ways that have been important for me to have experienced that type of outsiderness and exclusion. I also don't want to define my experience of Judaism by, you know, by bigotry. That's not all it is. There's also like a lot of joy. There's also the communities I found as an adult, um, and that's something that's been really important in the creation of queer Jewish. Is that we're not just focusing on the types of traumas both these communities have experienced. We're also looking at our celebrations, our humor, all the things that we've contributed. I mean, queer people and Jewish people, well, as well as, you know, a lot of other marginalized communities in the U.S., like African-Americans. Like, we make most culture. Of, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, you know, and that's so true. Our culture invariably comes from marginalized communities. Why yeah. is that? Because they... Because they're suffering more? Um, they're, there's kind of a what? It's, what is it? I because think, it is so yeah. true.
2: I don't think it's just that they're suffering. I think it's that um, when you're navigating as uh, an outsider or minority, there's just daily life requires a certain type of creativity and a certain type of boldness. And I think that um, that's part of the reason. I think also people who are in diaspora end up mixing up cultures in new and innovative ways. Um, and whether that diaspora is incentivized by um, you know, economic opportunity or by fleeing violence and persecution or through something as horrific as the slave trade, um, once people are in diaspora, they find ways to build really beautiful new cultures. And I think that should always be a source of pride.
1: And even um, the ma- when the majority sort of keeps them at bay or, you know, marginalizes them, they sure do love the, the art that is created, right?
2: For sure. <laughs> I mean, right, that's what we see with a lot of the history of cultural appropriation. And um, I think it's really, that's a conversation that I think gets a lot of people really afraid, but I think um, what's really important to focus on is just who is uh, who is benefiting from their creative labor, and as long as we're really focusing on that, I think that's a good guidance for how to engage with all these syncretic and diasporic cultural products in a way that's going to be ethical. Um, but it does require more thought because a lot of that had been previously co-opted by the power structure. True.
1: True. Wow. So, I I have to admit when I first saw your bio, the thing that leapt out at me was, "She was a stripper?" <laughs> I'm s- <laughs>
2: Sorry. That's okay.
1: Oh, I'm a woman of a certain age and it was like, "What?" Yeah. A Jewish stripper? We happen. I guess you do. So how? this is after Sarah Lawrence? Um, yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. God! Well, did you, Did you, uh, back to your parents, did your parents know you were a stripper?
2: <laughs> um, I, eventually, after I had been doing it for a while, I, I told them. <laughs> um, it wasn't their favorite thing to find out.
1: No, I bet not.
2: Um, what
1: brought you to that?
2: I mean, have you heard of the student loan crisis?
1: <laughs> wow. That is it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just. I hear that all the time
1: that if you go to a strip club and you'll find graduate students. um, For
2: sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no one reason that someone decides to enter stripping or some other type of sex work. But primarily, there's something economic going on. And so sometimes it's people paying for the education they've already received. Sometimes it's people saving up for education they'd like to have. And sometimes it's people who are just realizing you know, they need a job that's flexible. Maybe they're struggling with some disabilities and can't get a normal job. They need something that's like very day by day. Other people are trying to support kids. And it just, you can make so much more in a shift and it's variable, but you have the opportunity to make what ends up being a much higher hourly than you would get at most other jobs, even with a college degree at this point.
1: I am so curious about, so you, the other women that you then met, Mm -hmm. give me a, so you just gave us some sense of where they're coming from a lot of different places, yeah, probably, different reasons, and, um, but some women who are in need Mm -hmm. couldn't do it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think and there's a lot of different reasons for that so um, I think in particular stripping um, there is policing by the establishments about how you look you know I think a much wider variety of body types can be marketable at a strip club but it's not infinite so that's like one element it is also physically demanding and emotionally and psychologically demanding and so it's really important when you're doing that type of work to think about how are you going to take care of yourself? How are you going to hold boundaries? How are you going to protect yourself from clients who get too handsy or um, from pressure by management? Um, it's it's a really difficult industry, so I wouldn't encourage anyone to enter it lightly. Um, but I also like respect the many different reasons people do enter the industry, and I think it's just reflective of how our economy works.
1: You know, when I <clears throat> first sort of became a a feminist back in the whatever 60s, um I remember having this fierce uh debate with a woman who said that strippers and sex workers were um were feminists. When Mm -hmm. I thought the idea of being a feminist was, you would never, ever, you know, let your body be objectified like that. Or you would never, ever play into Mm -hmm. everything that I thought was. And it's taken me literally decades, decades, decades to start to understand the, I'm serious, it just blows my mind that. For some women, there is a sense of incredible empowerment.
2: I mean, yeah. So for me, there was at times a sense of empowerment, and I think it could shift a lot depending on the way I was experiencing power in that job day by day. But there's a few ways that I think about it as being younger and more of a third-wave feminist. Um, I think about... The fact that my body is going to be objectified whether I want it to be or not, all the time, whether I'm trying for it to be or not, and it can feel really powerful to enter a situation where you're saying, this is the place where like, I am allowing people to objectify my body, I'm staging it in a particular way, I'm putting it into that context, and I am going to profit off of it. and In many ways, the experiences I had with customers at strip clubs, I think, allowed them to have an enjoyable experience, a fun fantasy, to appreciate, you know, an objectified beauty, and uh, we're very respectful. Like it was, you know, more respectful than many dates I've been on. (laughs) So, I I think there's a way of like taking, feeling like. You know, we can use our bodies as tools, and people do that through a lot of different types of labor. Um, any type of physical labor is using your body as a tool for money for, to sustain yourself. And I think stripping and other types of sex work are really the same thing.
1: So you were a dancer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I was going to say, well, how do you have even learn how to strip? But you're a yeah. dancer. So yeah. I bet you were a good stripper. I mean, in that you would feel comfortable using your your body and you would have, yeah. Yeah, no I, of,
2: I think I was a good, yeah, I think I was good at, at doing a stage. Did you have a stripping name? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, yes. You're not going to share? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not going to share it right okay. now. Okay, <laughs> okay. But you worked just in here downtown Pittsburgh yeah or?
2: yeah I worked at a few different clubs around the city but mostly I was at um, the downtown club that was named blush at the time I was oh there. yeah
1: okay mm-hmm. but blush is still around isn't it
2: um, I think it got sold so it has a okay. different ownership and name and um, I don't know a ton about what it's like now
1: Wow, well, boy things have changed I mean I, boy th- incredible so did you encounter other Jewish strippers no. Um
2: not not that I know of. I mean, absolutely some other some of the other strippers might have been Jewish, but we never talked about it.
1: What do strippers talk about?
2: Uh, you know, I think people mostly talk about like how are you? How's it going tonight? Like have you had a, you know, people will share like if they had a bad experience with a customer. Um just kind of small talk for the most part. How
1: much is the are you protected by the ownership of these places in regard yeah. to the customers? I mean, I would...
2: It can be extremely variable. Wow. Yeah. Um, so some some places and some managers are really good about um, watching their cameras, noticing what's going on, and some places are not as good. And uh, there's probably a lot of lawsuits you can look up.
1: Did you ever fear for your life or... Oh, felt yeah. Felt in danger? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, w- I stopped stripping because I was assaulted at a club and just, like, didn't – I had gotten – felt like it was so normalized that, like, I, I, I didn't even put up a fuss about it. I just kind of moved on. Um, and so that's when I realized, like, I wasn't doing it in a healthy way and that I, I didn't feel like I was able to protect myself in the ways I need to be.
1: Wow. So, I'm glad you got out. That's all I can say, but as it inform- it informed your work because I know one of your yeah one of your pieces is about isn't it stripping
2: yeah so the first um, production that I did at Off the Wall um, was a one-woman show called Sex Work that was about uh, my experiences stripping so it was a very autobiographical show and it was a mixture of monologues and dance.
1: Well, so that must have felt particularly empowering to use that experience and be able to create.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it was really, um, it was really good for me. Um, partly because when I quit the industry, I really just kind of compartmentalized all of it—all of the good, all of the bad, just all of it—and kind of went, moved on with my life and. Um, then once I had the opportunity to do the show, I realized, oh, I have to actually like <laughs> open this box and think about like how did this change me? What did I learn? Um, so it's there. The, well, that. that's sort
1: of wonderfully therapeutic.
2: It was. It was also like terrifying. Um, but I'm I'm really glad that my artistic process was able to also serve that process of personal growth for me.
1: So you you probably felt more naked than you ever had in front of an audience.
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I didn't take my clothes off in that show because uh, no one was going to pay me enough <laughs> for the tickets to do that. Wow. But um, wow. yeah, it was more of an emotional striptease.
1: Boy, so your experience is amazing. And you know, your, your, your use of language is so skilled. You should write a book too <laughs> in your spare time.
2: Yeah, well, we'll see when I'm done with the show.
1: So the show, again, it opens tomorrow?
2: It opens tomorrow, and it runs through the 17th. Um, so how
1: many performances is that? Eight? That's
2: seven. S- seven so seven doing, performances. Um, that's Yeah, Thursday wow. through Sunday this weekend and Thursday through Saturday next
1: weekend. And this is at, um, in Carnegie.
2: Mm-hmm. Off the Wall Productions at Carnegie Stage.
1: At Carnegie Stage and I have um, I have been there it is a boy they just the stuff they do there is is simply wonderful I mean it just I can't uh, I can't tell you how my mind has been expanded by by seeing some of their productions
2: yeah they choose really interesting works that tackle that tackle like deep and resonant subjects that do experimental things. And they're always really supportive of female voices and queer voices. So um, yeah, I feel really lucky to have this relationship with Off The Wall Productions and with Carnegie Stage and to get to make another work there.
1: So, how speaking of your student loans and, and stuff uh-huh. I don't think of dancers as making a lot of money either, so how are i mean it it's still a struggle i'm sure um
2: yeah I mean, I think like a lot of starving artists <laughs> like a lot of artists, and I think also just like a lot of other millennials who you know, even if they went to college, graduated during the financial crisis um you know, I've just had a very like patchwork work history um but I have other skills and other jobs that I um, also do, and it's been working out.
1: So, like so many millennials, you you have cobbled together. I mean, so you yeah. do other jobs. Oh God, I see. I I don't think I would have done well uh, in the environment you're having to navigate. But I I give you. Um, extraordinary credit uh, for, for doing it. I'm getting people saying thank you for your guests because they've enjoyed listening to you. Oh, H- wow. How do people uh, get tickets for your performance?
2: Yeah, so um, they can get tickets at InsideOffTheWall.com um, com. Mm
1: InsideOffTheWall.com
2: And uh, there's also a Facebook event, so if they search Queer Jewish on Facebook, there will be an event page and a ticket link there as well. Um, Folks can feel free to follow my artist page. Um, It's just Mariah Ella Mason uh, on Facebook.
1: Okay, uh, it's on my Facebook page as well, and uh, so you can get all of that uh, through well, I'm sorry I'm going to be out of town uh, this weekend, but uh, maybe I can get there yeah. next weekend.
2: We'd love to have you.
1: I'm telling you, any time you go, it expands your mind. And not only that, it has nothing to do with you-know-who and all that other stuff. So in that regard, it is a joyous distraction and a reminder that our lives are full of so much wondrousness, right? So I hope you can do it. I hope we get uh, oh, a Oh, can few I share people. one other thing? You betcha.
2: Um, if you are coming to a Friday or Saturday night performance, if you come a little early at 740, 745, we're gonna be observing Shabbat and Havdalah before the show. So if that's something that's important to you, um, or you're just curious to experience one of those rituals, feel free to come out a little early.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Um, You're advertising in the Jewish Chronicle, aren't you? Maybe not. It might not be. I'm not Uh sure. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. We
2: reached out to them, but I haven't heard anything yet. No,
1: should. That goes to every Jewish home. Okay. Just saying. (laughs) Just saying. Um, Here's Terry. Thanks. She convinced us to go to her show.
2: (laughs) Aw, thanks, Terry. Terry, you (laughs) sold some
1: tickets. Yeah. Say Um, hi afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It was yeah. a pleasure.
2: Absolutely. God, so you're a,
1: you know, when we say we have hope for the future, when we do, it's because of people like, like you navigating this crazy landscape. Thank you. Thanks. Seriously. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Sally Wiggin, my guest.
0: Lincoln Live.